So uh, I love this gospel, but I'm going to explain it where he says uh, nobody fasts as long as the bridegroom is there. And you have to first know that religion is one of the images of religion. Religion is a marriage between us and God. Religion is, more accurately, a wedding between us and God. So the Garden of Eden starts with this pair of lovers, and we're supposed to be in this love affair with God. And then, um, anyhow, we get, leave the garden. And then at Sinai, Sinai is uh, with Moses, the covenant of Moses, is actually a wedding ceremony. So we're, like, where Jews get their wedding ceremony is the Sinai covenant. But the wedding ceremony was interrupted because... The bride was unfaithful right at the very beginning uh, with the golden calf. And so the prophecies after that is that when the Messiah comes, the Christ will create this wedding between us and God. And so you get these prophecies that the bridegroom, God, your bridegroom, your builder will marry you. So you have all these prophecies about the Christ starting this wedding. And in Jewish weddings... Um, skip the whole thing, but one of the rules of Jewish weddings is that the, in the wedding, uh, wedding party, you're not allowed to fast. So if you go to a wedding, um, you feast. So no offense, I don't want to pick on anybody, but if Barbara's at a wedding and she says, oh, I'm sorry, I'm not eating carbs this week. I can't have wedding cake. You eat the wedding cake, Barbara. <laughs> um, you celebrate life. Um, so yeah, you're not supposed to uh, uh, fa fast if the bridegroom is there. So back to the wedding ceremony. Um, you have this, there's three parts to it, but it starts with a glass of wine, this wedding ceremony, and then the bride, sorry, then the groom leaves. And he goes to his ancestral house and builds on a place for the bride. Um, and then comes back, and this is, called the days of separation. The bride has to get ready for the groom to return. And um, he will come, it's called the second coming. He comes with his entire family, gives a speech, and then the wedding feast starts. Um, oh, so this sounds kind of strange. When he goes away, she's getting ready. She's getting ready to prepare to make sure that she's the most acceptable. Technically, they're uh, wedded. It's just not the end of the wedding. The end of the wedding happens when he returns. So right now, if you see the analogy, Christ came, we're wedded to Christ, but the full wedding won't happen until Christ comes again. So at the Last Supper, Jesus literally gives a speech that every groom would have memorized. So the idea is that, wow, the wedding feast really completes when you die. And then heaven is always pictured as this wedding reception. You know, it's a party. But while the groom is separated, the bride is supposed to be doing some fasting to make sure her heart is ready for complete love. And we're the bride. We're the ones who, when the groom is separated, uh, we, make, we fast so that we can truly live a life of love. Now, so when the Pharisees, and they just always love to criticize everybody, see that Jesus is not enforcing uh, this fast tradition, that Jews fasted on uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays. It's not a rule, it was a custom. 
But anyhow, the Pharisees always love to criticize. And so they say, you know, how come Jesus doesn't make you guys fast? And Jesus' response is, when the bridegroom is here, you're not allowed to uh, fast. That's big. Jesus is calling himself the Messiah. It's the Messiah who's going to start this wedding. Does that make sense? That's really shocking. Um, and, but then he says, when the bridegroom is taken away, um, then you'll fast. Now, Jesus will be taken away by the Roman soldiers. So that's one thing it means. But it also means spiritually in our life, um, and hopefully I didn't lose you on this. Our religion is supposed to be this love affair with Christ. And sometimes Christ is, hides himself from us. Uh, in the Bible, it says Christ, God hides his face. So I'll use the analogy of St. Therese of Lisieux. St. Therese of Lisieux said when she was younger and she prayed, she, whenever she prayed, she was filled with this great euphoria. Uh, and it was just this great blessing. And then she said, there's this dry period. And the dry period is where just Christ seemed to be absent. And when Christ was absent, um, that's when her heart longed. There's no more euphoria. But in the dry period, that's when her heart longed even more for Christ. And so she said, you know, the dry period was actually spiritually her most fruitful, not when she was feeling euphoria. If you pray and feel euphoria, what credit is that to you? Does it, you know what I mean? You're doing it because you get a big endorphin kick out of it. But in the dry period, that's when her heart longed most for Christ. So after a dry period, she found out she had an even deeper relationship with Christ. So if you look at the mystics, you have these dry periods where Christ seems to be absent, not as punishment, but to make our hearts long more. So the tradition of fasting is we, don't, we fast so that we can hunger and our hearts may hunger even more for God, become even better lovers of God. Does that make sense? So like I, in the Catholic tradition, it's called mortification. So mortification is not penance. It's not like, you know, you know Eleanor sinned and she needs to do penance. The mortification is, you know, I have some faults. I know you guys find that hard to believe, but I have some faults, and like my anger. Uh, I tend to be judgmental. If I work on those things now before they become a sin, doesn't that just make my heart even better for love? Does that make sense? So when he says when the bridegroom is taken away, yeah, there are times in our life where God will hide his face. Christ will hide for us. And we should fast to make sure our hearts are even better at love. Um, so I always like that interpretation. So point being is that, yeah, we are wedded to God, but we always in these days of separation, we need mortification and fasting to make sure our hearts can love even more and more and more. Not pray that we get, you know, every time we pray that we feel euphoria, pray that our hearts long even more. So that's what the tradition of fasting is. And I hope we become better and better at love. Now, just for your money, I want to give you two homilies for the price of one. Uh, we're not even going to take up a collection. Um, so on these Saturday, first Saturday Masses, I changed the theme from Marian to Knights of Columbus to pro-life. 
just want to speak about pro-life for a second. Because, um, yeah, Roe versus Wade has been defeated, but um, some people think that that's a victory. And in one sense, I guess it is. But all it's done is administratively move the decision to the states. I don't really consider that a victory. You know what I consider a victory? Is when everybody sees the life of a child um, as sacred in the womb. Not like it's an administrative victory, but it's not a real conversion. Um, what I really pray for is that the United States has this real conversion. And some people said to me, well, you know, my friends are pro-life and I just don't know what to say. So I'll give you the easiest answer. This easiest answer is if you would treat a one-day-year-old child with respect, you'd feed it, you'd give it life, um, why wouldn't you do it to, you know, go back one day when it's in the womb and defend the child? Because people say, well, you know, um, abortion, you need abortion because of, uh, let's say, one is uh, uh, poverty. There's no connection that killing a child in the womb will reduce poverty. There are things that will reduce poverty. People not making bad decisions, da 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 da, da. But killing a, a one-year-old, uh, a child in the womb won't end. So if, if you said, well, I have a mother who wants to escape poverty, so she's going to kill her one-day-old child, you would say that's morally wrong. It's still morally wrong if you just go back another 24 hours. Does that make any sense? Or it doesn't matter what the argument is, because you can do that for all these various arguments. If you wouldn't do it to a one-day-old child or a one-year-old child, why would you do it to a child inside the womb? Um, so that's just the easiest argument. But in truth, um, I don't really want an argument. What I really want is that everybody, the real victory is when people's hearts have changed, where they can even love a child in a womb more than anything else. More, uh, more than, um, I don't know, fear of poverty or having your life be encumbered by taking care of a child or whatever. Um, I think the real victory will ha happen when our hearts change. And so if fasting is part of this tradition of making our hearts love more, if you guys do take up the practice of fasting on Fridays, some Catholics still do it, pray that there's this conversion of heart in the United States, that our religion will make people better lovers, but even lovers of the life in the womb as well. That's the real victory we're aiming at.